0: Good morning. You guys ready for the word? All right, let's get into it. Matthew 5, if you have your Bible, you can head over there. My name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here at Great Oaks. It's my honor and privilege to deliver the word to you today, unpack some things, and hopefully challenge you and you taking your next step towards God this morning. I appreciate you giving us your, or giving your Sunday morning uh, to the Lord, to uh, church. I think this is the place you need to be. On Sunday mornings. If you're joining us online, I want to welcome you as well. Thank you for joining us online. Uh, Let us know in the chat uh, where you're watching from, who you're watching with. We've got somebody there that would love to connect with you. Uh, And then if you live in the area, uh, we hope to see you in person uh, here next week. All right, let me just kind of start out this way today. Sometimes uh, studying God's Word is hard, right? Sometimes understanding the commands of Scripture is difficult. Sometimes submitting to the words of Jesus Christ is so very, very hard. Is it not? Sometimes it is. Maybe a lot of times. Maybe most times. It's it's difficult. Today we're going to talk about one of those times... Uh, we're going to talk about one of those commands. And it may, it may cause you some pain. It may be difficult to hear and difficult to submit to. It may, it may be hard to deal with. But here's the thing. God's commands are always good. God's commands are are always good, 100% of the time. The problem is that mean-spirited, evil, religious people have come in and twisted God's commands into something, a weapon to hurt you, right? The problem is that religious people have come in, and they've taken the commands of God meant for your good and your joy, and they've twisted them into a whip to beat you with, a weapon to hurt you with. And so the commands of Jesus in and of themselves become, if you're not careful, something that causes you distress, something that would depress you, something that would hurt you, unless you know who God is. Jesus says that God is our loving Father. So if he's our loving Father, then it's different when he gives us a command. We know that he's given us those commands, those laws, because he loves us, right? Because he loves us. He's trying to protect us. He's not trying to rob us of joy and freedom. In fact, it's the opposite. He's trying to get us to joy and freedom. He's trying to hold us back from hurt, from suffering, from falling in a pit that will end up costing you your life. For a long time, good preachers have explained it kind of like this. When you have kids, things change, don't they? How many of you remember, like... The heaven that was before kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, especially kids. We love you. We're glad you're a part of our family most times. So now when you have kids, things change, right? Like especially when that kid starts, that first kid starts to crawl and you look around your house and you realize all of a sudden that you and your spouse have been living unknowingly in like a horror house of hell and dangers, right? And you're like, Wow, you look around, and you go, it's a lot, it's pretty easy to get electrocuted in here. It's pretty easy to go and find some chemical, you know, stuff to drink, some cleaning chemicals and die a horribly painful death in here. It's pretty easy actually to slip on the stairs and end up end up paralyzed in our house. It's it's easy if you're two feet tall to pull this cabinet over on yourself and smother yourself. So you look around and you go, Wow, we're living in a field mine. A field of minds, right? The dangers that are going to kill our children. And so you start to work on it. You start to baby-proof everything. You lock the cabinets, and you, you put the outlet covers on, and you secure the furniture, and you, you do all of that to save your little progeny from getting hurt or whatever. You, you move the knives off the, you know, the counter that they can reach. Some of you should do that when you get home. You're looking at me like I'm making, not making any sense. And then they get a little bigger, and they start to run and play, and they start to run and play outside. And that opens them up to another whole host of dangers. And so you go outside, and you go, wow, I've never noticed this before. There's a busy street right there, and you realize that cars are the natural arch enemy of toddlers. And so you start to go, I need to do something. So what do you do if you go in your backyard, and you've got a busy street at your back? You build a fence. Fence. You build a fence, not to pri- imprison your children, not to hold them back, but to protect them from the dangers that are on the other side of the fence. And you go, you t- tell your kids, enjoy the yard, enjoy the whole yard. Run, climb, laugh, play. Enjoy the whole yard. Just don't jump the fence. Because if you jump the fence, there's danger on the other side. I didn't build the fence to hold you back. I built the fence to give you life, to protect you, to keep you from getting hurt because I love you. God's laws are like pickets in a fence. They're to protect us from dangers on the outside. This is God just trying to keep his kids safe from the street, safe from getting hurt by Satan and sin. And so what God would tell us is, you got the whole yard. Enjoy the whole yard. I'll give you my Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Laugh, jump, climb, play. Enjoy your freedom. Just don't jump the fence because there's no joy on the other side of the fence. Just trust me. Just trust me that's what God's laws are because he's a good and loving father what happens though is that religious people come in and they go hey that that fence looks really good of God's laws and he doesn't want us to jump that fence so you know what we should do we should build another fence Inside a little bit, maybe a little bit higher so that there's no chance of us ever jumping over the fence of God's laws. We'll build another fence inside a little bit. And then that's all fine and good. But then someone else comes that's more religious and they go, hey, that second fence is great. But I think we should build a third fence, a little little higher, a little taller than that second fence, just to make sure that we never get even close to hopping the fence of God's laws. And that happens over and over and over until you don't have a fence and a yard anymore. You have a prison. And God's kids can't run out and play. Listen to me very carefully, beloved. I'm not here to beat you up, I'm not here to cause you pain, I'm not here to put you in a prison. The words of Jesus that we're going to dive into today in Matthew 5, they're not here to hurt you, to chain you up. It's the opposite. They're here to help you, here to give you life. A loving father telling his children some pitfalls to avoid. A dad building a fence to keep his kids safe from the street. And you might be able to kind of nod your head and go, yeah, that makes sense. Amen, yeah, God's laws are like a fence. They're to protect us. That makes sense. But what if that law, that command, is one that's going to cause you heartache? What if following the command that you're looking at from Jesus is actually going to cause hurt in someone you love? What if it's one that's just not the way you're living your life? And it's going to be difficult to change. What then? Even then, what I just said is true. The command was given to bring you joy, to keep you from pain, from danger, from more heartache. So that means that no matter what the immediate fallout is, it's always better in the long run to follow God's commands that makes sense? So here's what I'm pretty sure of. I'm pretty sure you didn't wake up this morning, turn to your spouse, and say, you know what I hope he talks about? Divorce. Man, it would be great if he talked about divorce today. Gosh, i always wanted to go to a church that talks about divorce. I don't think anybody woke up and said that. Did, did anybody wake up and say that this morning? I was just going to scream, liar, if you, wrote, if you raised your hand. No, no, you didn't. You didn't do that. But we're in a series called Red Letters where we're looking at the red letters of Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest collection, uninterrupted collection of Jesus' words found in the Bible. And traditionally, Bibles uh, mark Jesus' words in red to, to help them stand apart. And so we're in this series on the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is kind of having a family meeting, and he's talking uh, to the people who want to follow him, and he's saying, don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles. Don't be like the world. Don't be like the Pharisees or the Jews. He's going, this is what it looks like to be a follower. This is what it looks like to be one of mine. And in this huge sermon about what it looks like to be a part of Jesus' family, Jesus talks about divorce. So today we will too. Because I figure if Jesus talked about it, we should too. We should too. And this is one of those times when the straight line of scripture is going to clash with the twisting line of culture. This is one of those times when what the Bible says is going to come at odds with what is just about universally accepted out in the world. It's going to come at odds against it. What this Bible says about marriage, divorce, you not living and having sex with someone who's not your husband or your wife, it's difficult. It's contrary to what the world says, to what your friends and your family might be telling you. It's going to be, could possibly be, emotionally and relationally painful. And yet... It's said by a God who loves you and wants to keep you safe from danger. Wants to keep you safe from hurt. So you're going to have a decision to make today. The question is going to be, what informs my viewpoint most? What most people say, majority? What that one person I respect said? What culture says? What what informs my viewpoint most? Is it it my own experience? My own thoughts? My own study? Or is it the Bible? In other words, what informs my viewpoint most? What Jesus said or what someone else said? You're going to have to make that decision today, or or at least it's going to play itself out if you've already made that decision before you walked into this room. Listen, let me be clear. My heart breaks for you if you've been through the pain of divorce. My heart breaks for you if you, like me, have been through the pain of your parents getting a divorce or you're going through that pain right now. My heart breaks for you if that's you. It hurts so much because it is not God's design for marriage, not God's plan for you. I'm so sorry that you've had to deal with that, that you're going through that, that you've had to go through that. Listen, there is no self-righteousness in me about this. I only hurt for you. But it's because of that hurt that I think it's important that we talk about it so that maybe I can help you not go through that hurt again. And maybe I can help you if you've never experienced the pain of divorce, never have to experience the pain of divorce, whether you're married right now or single or whatever. Look at the red letters of Jesus in Matthew 5. Jesus is in the middle of six parallel statements. We've covered two already. We'll get into the third today, and then we won't do the rest of them. We'll jump into Matthew chapter 6 next week. Uh, so you can read the other parallel statements later. But Jesus' parallel statements go like this. You've heard it said this, but I say to you this, right? So he says, you've heard it said in the law that you shouldn't murder. I say if you've got anger in your heart, you've still got a problem. He goes, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit adultery. I say that if you have lust in your heart and your mind, you're still in sin. You're already in sin. And then number three of these statements in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 5 Jesus says this, red letters, Jesus is speaking. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, so Jesus says that the standard at the time is that you can divorce your wife, but you have to give her a certificate of divorce. This is coming from another passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24. You can look at that later, Deuteronomy 24. But what's happening in Deuteronomy is that the Jewish men of the time are kicking their wives out of their houses for A number of reasons, getting rid of them, and the wives are going then to get married again, and they cannot get married again because they're still technically married to the first guy. You tracking with me? And in that time, women couldn't make money or anything like that, so this was basically a death sentence. So this is what's happening around Deuteronomy 24. This is the problem. So Moses sets forth this law to protect the women. He says, listen, You guys can't do this anymore. You can't just kick your wives out and then not let them remarry. If you're going to divorce your wife, you need to issue to her a certificate of divorce so that she can remarry and she's not on the street, right? She doesn't die, okay? So this is a big deal. And then also, he says, as he's issuing forth this law in Deuteronomy 24, Moses says, you also can't just divorce like willy-nilly, right? You can't just divorce for no reason. You have to have a reason. You have to have a reason. And he uses the word in English, indecency. Moses didn't speak English. I mean, it's translated into English. You tracking with me? All right. Translated into English as indecency. And so he says, you have to, there has to be this indecency in her before you can get a divorce, okay? And over the centuries leading up to Jesus coming to earth in bodily form, There had been this debate about what Moses meant by this idea of indecency. In other words, what can a divorce happen because? What are good, right, lawful, grounds for divorce there was this debate what does he mean by indecency on this side we had people they had people in camps and ways of thought that said that divorce could only happen if there was sexual immorality that indecency meant literally sexual immorality adultery on the far other side you had certain people in camps of thought that would say that it could be anything in fact Famously, a Jewish commentator once said about Deuteronomy 24, one that was in this line of thought, that indecency could mean that your wife spoil, spoiled your dinner. So any, so any, so don't look at your wife, all right, don't 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 look at your wife. Any, anything, you know, so, it, so it's kind of got this huge spectrum, this huge continuum of what this word indecency means could mean. And so Jesus mentions Deuteronomy 24 as the law of the old covenant. And just like with the other five in this area of the Sermon on the Mount, these parallel statements, he raises the standard. He goes, that's the old covenant. You had to issue a certificate of divorce. But here's the new covenant. Anyone who divorces their wife, for any reason other than sexual immorality and marries again commits adultery and they cause their wife to commit adultery as well so in effect jesus settles this centuries old jewish debate about what the word indecency meant in the divorce law of deuteronomy 24 he settled the debate about what is a legitimate grounds for the for divorce now That's all Jesus said about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's not all he said about divorce. So I want to show you another passage where Jesus talks about divorce. Another red letter passage. Still in Matthew, but Matthew 19. In this passage, the Pharisees come up and they ask him a question. And it's a question that I've heard many times in different ways. Different times, different ways. Uh, It's a question that a lot of Christians ask. And so I think you'll... It's good that some questions that we have, some other people already asked, Jesus answered them. That's pretty good, right? So Matthew 19, starting in verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him, Jesus, and tested him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Another way to say that in our vernacular is, is it okay to get a divorce? Ever heard that question? Is it okay to get a divorce? Jesus answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Let's pause there for a second. You've probably heard that last verse said this way. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. You ever heard that in a wedding or something like that? Just in case you got lost in the reading there, a guy walked up to Jesus from the Pharisees and he goes, is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? Now, you know now, based on what we just talked about, about the debate over Deuteronomy 24, why this guy is asking it that way, right? Any cause. Is there, can, can I divorce for any reason? Like, spoiled dinner? Like, what's the, what's the line here? Can I divorce for any cause? And Jesus answered, No. No, it's not lawful. He quotes Genesis, makes the point that when one man and one woman get married, they are joined together not by human power, but it's God who puts them together. God's the one that joins one man, one woman in marriage. One man, one woman, one time, one flesh. That's the way it's supposed to go. And so Jesus goes, how how are you going to split up something that's one flesh? Like if you cut yourself in half, how would that work? You die, right? It's impossible. So Jesus goes, no, that's, no. They're one flesh. You can't do it. Jesus very clearly here says, no. It is not lawful to divorce your wife. Now, you probably have questions, right? What about this? What about that situation? What about, but what about totally natural? Totally natural to ask those questions. In fact, the Pharisees ask a follow-up question here. Verse 7, they said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? So now they're, hey, you just mentioned, you know, earlier we heard you talk about this, you know, this Old Testament law. Don't you know the Old Testament law, Jesus? Like Moses said it was all right, just had to issue a certificate of divorce. Verse 8, Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Hard to get clearer than that. Red letters, Jesus speaking. He says, you were allowed to divorce because of your sin. That was not God's design from the beginning. One man, one woman, one time. That was God's design. So if you divorce for any reason, let me be clear, Jesus said, if you divorce for any reason other than sexual immorality and marry someone else, you commit adultery because you're going outside of God's design for marriage. Okay. Three quick points of clarification here. The first one is 1 Corinthians 7. You can look at that later. 1 Corinthians 7 seems to give another justifiable biblical reason grounds for divorce. And that is that a non-believing spouse bails on the marriage. Now, since the Bible is very clear that a a believer should not be married to a non-believer, the only way this makes sense is if you gave your life to Jesus after you got married, right? So you give your life to Jesus after you get married. Your spouse wants nothing to do with that, and they bail. 1 Corinthians 7 says that you are free to get a divorce and then get remarried, okay? So 1 Corinthians 7 is the first clarification. You can check that out later. The second is that just because it's permissible doesn't mean that you have to do it, right? Just because it's permissible... like. Like, just because it's allowed doesn't mean you should do it. Like, you, you're allowed to eat 42 donuts in a day. <laughs> but maybe you shouldn't. Right? Like, you're allowed to do that. And the Bible says all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. So you got to think through that, right? Should I eat the 42nd donut or not? You have to decide. I say go for it. But maybe, maybe you shouldn't, okay, maybe you shouldn't. So you read the Bible and you decide what, is, what are the biblical grounds for divorce. Like what makes sense, what is Jesus saying about that? You read the Bible, you decide what that is. By the way, in my reading of the Bible, there's only two, two biblical grounds for divorce, okay. I just mentioned them. And so you read the Bible, you say there's three, there's four, there's five, there's ten, You read the Bible and you decide what is a biblical grounds for divorce, but that doesn't mean you have to get a divorce if that happens. Are you tracking with me? So with sexual immorality, if somebody cheats on somebody else, if your spouse cheats on you, you may have a grounds for divorce, but you don't have to get a divorce at that point. You don't have to do that. You may have grounds for it after you've done everything to forgive, restore, move forward. But you don't have to. Some people in that situation decide, we're not going to get a divorce. We're going to work through this. We're going to forgive. We're going to move on. We're going to believe God to bring things back. to Those are godly people that do that. Those are godly people. It takes a long time. It takes the adulterer to earnestly repent and the spouse to earnestly forgive. It takes a lot of tears and time. I've seen couples make it through adultery. And I'm convinced that that would be God's, that would be Jesus' preference for you. Third quick clarification. Noticeably absent, if we're making a list of biblical grounds for divorce, noticeably, noticeably absent is instances of abuse. Noticeably absent is abuse. And so the Bible talks about abuse, speaks out against abuse, um, speaks out against violence. It just doesn't tie it together with divorce in those cases. So here's what I would say. If you're being abused by your spouse, you need to get yourself out of that situation. You need to get you and your kids out of that situation. You need to turn him or her in. You need to get yourself safe from your abuser. You need to go get help. You need to make a change. I do not believe that the Bible is saying that if you're abused, but they're not sexually immoral, they're not committing adultery, that you should stay in the marriage and just continue to be abused. That's not what I'm saying, and that's not what I believe. If you're being abused, you need to get out of that situation. Come talk to one of Our pastors will try to do everything we can to help you get out of that situation. And if you're the abuser, you're listening online or you're here in this room, and you're the abuser, I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of grace or patience for you. But in this moment of clarity, when you're sober, when you can realize that what you're doing behind closed doors at home is wicked and evil, Make a change. Make a decision. Leave the house until you can guarantee your wife and your kids safety in your presence. Go get help. Don't go back into that house until you're sure they'll be safe. Come talk to one of us as pastors. We will help you. We will try to help you as much as we can. Everybody clear on those three clarifications about divorce and the grounds for divorce? All right, so this is fun to talk about, right? You guys having fun? I mean, this is a great... Thanks, Jesus, for talking about this in Matthew 5, so I had to preach on it. This is awesome. So divorce is super fun to talk about. I get that. Let me wrap up by saying three things to three different groups of people here. I want to talk to non-married people, I want to talk to married people, and I want to talk for a moment to divorced people. So those three groups. So to you single people who are looking to get married, you want to get married, I want you to hear this. The weight of this whole biblical marriage, sanctity of marriage, God's design for marriage, the weight of this whole thing falls before the wedding day. It's before the wedding day, before marriage, okay? If the person you're with or interested in is not a Christian, call it off. If they can't be faithful to you now before marriage, call it off. If they're abusive in any way, call it off. God's design for marriage is is something that should bring you life and fulfillment and joy, but only if you do it God's way. If you do it the way he designed it to be, one man, one woman, one time, for your joy, for your good. So don't be deceived. If he's like this now, he'll be like this after you get married. If she's not a Christian now, she is not a candidate for you to marry. It's that cut and dry. I'm pleading with you. Don't do it. Don't do it. Listen to the wisdom of God, the God who loves you and created both you you and them divorce is devastating the whole life that you'd envisioned comes crashing down the whole thing is horrible for you and for the kids that god would have given you to shepherd by that time it's painful sin leads to death the sin of divorce leads to the murder of a marriage it's painful so non-married people looking to be married do it right Come and talk to us. Talk to a pastor or someone you feel has a God-honoring marriage, someone who's doing it right. Bring this guy or this girl in. Do premarital counseling to make sure everything's on the up and up, everything's the way it should be. Don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't have sex before marriage. Don't move in with this person. If you're already moved in with this person, move out. I got a little excited on that one. (laughs) Move out. Move on. Do it God's way. Do it God's way. Now I want to talk to group number two, you married people. Because the question becomes for us, those of us who are married, how do I keep from getting a divorce, right? Like, how do I, okay, I know divorce is bad. Thanks, Pastor Jake. Like, I had no idea. Divorce is bad. Okay. Now how do I do that? How do I keep from getting a divorce? And there was this massive study done not too long ago by a guy named Bradford Wilcox. And the study said that if you're a Christian, and you do these three things. There are three things, the study found, that if you do these three things, it, it lessens the, the, the chance, the potential for divorce by 50%. So it's not, it's not a guaranteed thing. But in this study, this massive study, they go, okay, this cuts the divorce rate in Christian families and Christian marriages by half, okay, By half. So these are three things I heard mentioned in a sermon by another pastor, and I think they're right on. Here they are very quickly. Number one go to church together every week. Go to church together every week. Husband and wife, going to, part of, plugged into the same community of faith, the same church. This allows you to be under teaching, under encouragement, under accountability the same way. Hearing the same things at the same time in community. Seeing positive examples, seeing negative examples together, right? Encouragement for being obedient, discouragement from becoming disobedient. Go to church together. And don't just go to church. Don't just show up. But plug yourselves into a local church, the same local church. Serve together. Go to life group together. Make friends. Go out to eat with other God-loving couples. Plug yourself in. Go to church together. Number two, believe the same things about God. So the study has shown these are the things. If these three things are happening These marriages are half as likely to get a divorce. Go to church together. Believe the same things about God. This means you believe the same things about who God is, who Jesus is, and what what the biblical roles for marriage are. What marriage looks like based on the Bible. You agree on those things. Listen, it's great if you both like the same things. It's great if you both like bike riding and TLC fixer-upper shows and cage-free chicken. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm super pumped that you like those things. But none of that matters. I like my chickens caged. But none of that matters if you don't both believe the same things about God. Like my wife Erin and I are very different in our personality and what we like to do and, and all of that. We're very different but we believe the same things about God, and I thank God for that because I'd much rather base my marriage on that than our shared love for basket weaving, fishing, and guacamole, right? (laughs) Those things are great, but they they don't help your marriage, really. All right. Go to church together. Believe the same things about God. Number three, practice your faith at home. So the question becomes, is this Jesus thing just a church thing or is it a home thing too? Do you read the Bible together? And that's a yes or no question. Do you read the Bible together? Do you read it to your kids? Do you pray together as a couple? Do you read Christian books together? Do you talk about what God is doing in your life, what God is teaching you at home? Is, are these things happening at home or not? Because this is this is key. It's not easy, but that's where it really matters. So, Based on this study, if you do these three things, your chance of divorce goes down, way down, 50%. It's kind of a big deal. And it's not just about you not getting divorced, but I believe if you do these things, if you set your life up this way, that you have a higher potential, higher chance of having joy and fulfillment and peace in your marriage, in all areas of your marriage. Are you tracking with me? And this is good news because this study proves that God's way still works. Isn't that good? That's good news, isn't it? It's not a secret. Yeah, we get excited for God's way working. Come on. Yeah, it's not a secret. This is good news. It's not a secret. It's not like, oh, God, hit this secret of how to do marriage. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of it in there. It's not a secret. God's way still works. So that's to you married people or us married people. I'm with you. I said I wanted to talk to three groups as we close, single people, married people. And now statistically about half of you have already been divorced. So if, you've, if you didn't do it right in the beginning, you're not doing it right now, or you've already been divorced and remarried, remarried, or you're, you're living with someone who's not your, your husband or your wife or whatever, I want you to hear that there is grace. That there is grace. There's not one thing that you could do that would put you out of the reach of of God's grace. There's not one line that you could cross. Traditionally, maybe even 30 years ago, definitely 50, 60 years ago, divorce was that line. You cross that line. You can't get back in to the, the grace of God. It's not true, okay? It's not true. There's not one place. If you're divorced. I want you to hear this. There's not one place that you could go, one thing that you could do that would put you out of the reach of God's love for you and God's grace for you. Isn't that good news? So that's, I want you to hear that. Grace, there is grace here. He has made a way for you to be reconciled and restored, and that goes for your relationship with your husband or your wife and for your relationship uh, with him. There is not a place you can go that he cannot reach. But one of my favorite authors and speakers uh, says this all the time. Um, I think it's important for us to understand. God's grace, we love God's grace, it's good. Let's talk about it, let's... That should be something that's espoused from our pulpit on a regular basis, and we're digging deep into God's grace, love God's grace. But God's grace doesn't make sin safe. It makes sinners safe, right? God's grace is not something that makes sin okay. That you go, oh, God's grace, so I'm good, I'll just stay in my sin because God's a gracious God. He loves me, so I know it's a sin, but I'm going to stay in my sin because God God's grace makes sin safe. That's not the case. God's grace makes sinners safe, of which I am one, right? Just like you. And so God's grace makes sinners safe. You can't sweep sin under the rug. It doesn't mean that we can keep on sinning. God's grace transforms sinners. So, you can't just act like everything's okay. You have to deal with it. But on the other hand, there's a passage in Malachi 2 that is sometimes twisted into a weapon uh, to hurt divorced people with. And, um, it says that God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Malachi 2. God hates divorce. And I totally believe that God hates divorce because it hurts his kids, he hates it because it hurts his kids. But what Malachi 2 does not say is that God hates the divorcee. God hates the sin, but he doesn't hate you, the sinner. God hates the pain of divorce, but he doesn't hate you if you've had a divorce. He loves you. So what you need to do is you need to repent, which means you need to confess your sin to God and run the other way, away from your sin, make a change. Stop living in your sin. So if you're in a spiritually compromised relationship right now before marriage, you hit the brakes. If you're living with someone you're not married to, you move out. You do premarital counseling. You do it right. If that seems impossible to you, come and talk to a pastor. We will help you do the best we can to help you get your relationship right before God. If yours is about past sin, You're married now, but you know you didn't do things right in the beginning. Or you're divorced. This is your second marriage or whatever. If you've never confessed and repented to God, treated it like a sin, asked for his forgiveness, then that's something you need to do. You need to do that. And then run away from the sin of divorce by living the right way in your current marriage. Doing the three things I mentioned earlier. Putting Christ at the center like you never did before. I hope you hear what I'm saying this morning. I hope that you hear what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5 this morning. God's God's commands are not a weapon to hurt you with. They're not a prison To put you in. They're not some complex maze designed to make you feel helpless when you can't possibly figure it out. God's commands are a fence built by a loving father who just wants to keep his kids safe from the street. God's saying, you can can play in my whole backyard, it's huge. You can play in my backyard, All like laugh, jump, run, climb, dig and find a worm. Do whatever you want to do in my backyard. I give you my Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Have joy. Just don't jump the fence because I promise you there's no joy on the other side. Only danger awaits. Only pitfalls await. Only Satan and sin wait for you on the other side. One more thing. If you're in here and you've never been in God's backyard before, you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know the joy that comes in a relationship with Jesus. But you look at your marriage or maybe your future marriage and you go, I want, I want that. I want, I want it to be centered on something bigger than us. You need to give yourself Jesus before you give your marriage to Jesus it doesn't work the other way you first need to give yourself to Jesus and so if that's you I encourage you challenge you today before you leave this place make a decision for Christ to put Christ at the center not just of your marriage but of your whole life submit your life over to him completely And never look back. We'll have prayer workers at the side. Go tell them, I want to give my life to Jesus. They'll lead you in a prayer of salvation. They'll help you understand what it means to be a Christian. We would love for that to happen today. Then, go talk to your spouse and say, let's do this the right way. Tracking with me? All right. Here's what I want to do. I'd like to pray over marriages before we leave. So why don't you stand, everybody. You can stand with me. If you are next to your spouse... Grab their hand. If you're not next to your spouse and they're in the room, go find them and grab your hand. Grab their hand. Don't grab your hand. That would be weird. Grab their hand. And I just want to pray over you. If you are uh, dating someone that's next to you and you want to do this the right way and, and you, you think maybe this is whatever, then you can don't touch them, okay, because we're in church. And, <laughs> but then, you know, you can just think about this while you're standing next to them, all right? If you want to be married someday, maybe you hold your hands out with your palms up. And you're, you're committing, you're asking the Lord, I'm not married right now, but I want to be blessed. I want my marriage, my future marriage to be blessed. So maybe that's your posture if you're single and you want to be married someday. Let me pray over you. Lord, I pray a blessing over the marriages of Great Oaks. I'm going to ask for something big, Lord. Way against statistics and against the stream of, of or the current of culture. I'm going to ask for something big because you're a big God. I pray that Great Oaks Community Church is a divorce-free zone. God, that you would put your hedge of protection around us. That your fence would hold strong. And that we as your children would trust you as our loving father and not even try to jump the fence. I pray, God, that you would help us to live our faith out at home instead of just at church. God, marriages in here, I pray that they are centered on you and forever always trying to be even more centered on you, looking for ways to exalt you in them. So I pray a blessing over these marriages. May not one marriage represented in this room end in divorce for those in here who are not yet married i pray god that this would be a wake-up call for them to put a lot of weight and responsibility on who they choose as a mate who they choose as a husband or a wife that they would not look at anything else but your word to make that decision That nothing in culture or in feelings or emotions would trump what you say in your word about who they should marry. And what a godly husband and a godly wife looks like. I pray for those in this room that are in sin right now. I've tried to be loving. I've tried to be grace-filled. I pray, God, that they would hear that. And yet on the other side, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't be able to leave here and just sweep it under the rug like sin is all of a sudden safe. They would feel your conviction, and they would do everything they could possibly do to run away from that sin and honor you with every piece of their lives. We love you, Jesus. We ask for these impossible things because you are an impossible God. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Here's my prayer for you before you leave. Uh, we're going to sing a song. would love for you to stay and sing with us. Prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you. You can go pray as a married couple. Say, hey, we just want to commit to these three things we talked about and, and get some prayer that way. But here's my prayer for you. May you welcome Jesus' commands as the protection of a loving father. May you base your lives on the wisdom of your creator. And may your marriage be blessed, protected, and centered on Christ. Thank you so much for coming today. Make sure you talk this over this week in your life group. If you're not in a life group, stop at Connection Central and get plugged into one. And as always, my challenge to you is to not let this stop with you, but to go forth here and make disciples. Just like you've been helped to take your next step towards God, so help others take their next step towards God. Be Jesus followers who make and disciple other Jesus followers. I'll see you next week for week four of our Red Letter series.